Good morning, good afternoon, and a special greeting to everybody who's going to be watching this later on the video because they stayed at home because their kids are out of school today. I don't know why. It's not even snowing out there yet. Okay, so... <laughs> So I get to introduce Alexei Kislev because Alexei is a member of the Molecular Therapeutics Program and a very important one because he's doing some really interesting work on the development of novel proteasome inhibitors, which he will talk to you about. Alexei is a graduate of Moscow State University and then he did his postdoc with Alfred Goldberg, who was the discoverer of proteasomes back in, well, that's when he was, yeah, long time ago. No, not exactly, but... Uh, <laughs> well, Wikipedia, Wikipedia says that Alfred Goldberg kind of discovered there was something other than lysosomes degrading proteins, and yeah. so he was sort of... I mean, he, he, he established ATP-dependent system in the cytosol, which then uh, used to discover ubiquitous. So that's who he got his training with. And then he joined us here in 2004 as assistant professor, and he's been associate professor since 2011. Um, lately, uh, he decided that this was going great places, so he decided to set up a company. Um, and as a result, he does have a conflict of interest that I have to say, um, because he's the founder and CSO of Inhibitor. Iniprot. Iniprot? It's a Russian word. I don't know what it means. <laughs> um, but he has no other financial relationships with industry. Um, his conflicts have all been resolved. He's not going to talk about any off unlabeled, off-labeled FDA-approved products. And he tested we're not paying him for this activity. Nobody's paying him for this activity. Um, anybody who wants CME credits? As usual, the code will be outside the door after this presentation. So, Alexei. Okay. Thank you, Alan. Uh, and, and actually, sorry for interfering with the interactions, but the story is a little bit more complicated. This is the proteolytic core of uh, proteasome was actually discovered by Mariana Arlovsky, who looked for the processing of neuropeptides, but he was unable to connect it to intracellular protein degradation. And then it was shown to be a part of a much bigger 26S proteasome par uh, particles and implicated in, in, in the bulk of protein degradation. The interesting trick here is that the first patient who responded to Velcade in clinical trial was the patient of Mariana Arlovsky, uh, uh, of Robert Arlovsky, who is the son of Mariana Arlovsky. So, so <laughs> small world. Uh, okay. Uh, well, I'm not sure, but, but I think the conflict of interest police wants us to go through, through this once, no, no matter what, and then if I don't, they're probably going to come and arrest me. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and give really a hard time to Paola. So, yeah, indeed we have, uh, I, I founded a company uh, to, to develop the science I'll be talking about, and, but I was so far unable to enrich myself using this, or in fact uh, the company doesn't have any funding at all yet. 
So it exists pretty much on, on, on the paper. Yeah, and the kind of like the, the police was satisfied with it. And uh, uh, the, the, that's it. And I'm not going to discuss unlabeled, off-label use of FDA-approved products in humans, uh, on, on, only in animals, uh, in mice. Uh, and yeah, I swear, yeah, I, I'm not getting uh, a, a, any money. Also, Linda promised me a cup of coffee. So, uh, what I'm going to do the, uh, to this, I'm going uh, to remind you uh, why are myeloma sensitive uh, uh, to protosome inhibitors? Is it going to have yeah, first. Uh, then uh, I'll briefly discuss multiple targets on the protosomes and uh, what we were doing with that. And uh, the biggest part of my talk to, uh, will be uh, talking about uh, specific inhibitors or, uh, and their biological effects, uh, antineoplastic effects. Uh, yeah, first, overcome resistance in multiple myeloma. And then the bulk uh, of the work uh, will be uh, uh, a PhD thesis works of Emily Weyburn. Uh, some of you may, may, may be already heard it many times. Uh, so once I get to triple negative breast cancer part of the talks and, 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 and if, if you want to fall asleep, I, I'm a kind of a taken up. <laughs> I'm a kind uh, okay with this. And there will be some off-label use of protosome inhibitors uh, in mice. So to introduce uh, briefly, the proteasome is the key component uh, of the ubiquitin proteasome uh, pathway. And this is like one of the two major pathways of protein quality controls in every mammalian cells. And despite apparent lack of sensitivity, we are using proteasomes or trying to use, using them to treat multiple myeloma and trying to use them in other uh, cancers. And the reason for why do we have therapeutic window for proteasome uh, inhibitor is uh, that the load on the proteasomes in rapidly dividing malignant cells is higher than the load on the normal uh, tissues. When you're trying to do something faster, the likelihood that something will go wrong is higher. Say you are in a, than if you do it slower. So you, you are in a rush to do the experiment before you're rushing to grand rounds so that you make sure you can grab free lunch, and boom, you come back, you made a mistake, and you realize you would not have made a mistake if you were not in a hurry. And the same case is in the cells. So kinds of cells grow faster. They need to make more protein. They do it faster. So the likelihood of the error is there. Plus, kinds of cells have mutations. And mutant proteins, sometimes if they cannot fall, they're not degraded. Uh, due to glycose deprivation, glycosylation may not work properly. And that may also re uh, result in excessive degradation. And, and then pretty much all tumors are unemployed. And an unemployed can, can um, you know, cause a mismatch uh, disrupt the stoichiometry in multi-protein complexes, of which there are many in the cells, and like to mention proteasomes, spliceosomes, uh, ribosomes, uh, just as few. And uh, usually Mother Nature gets rid, degrades uh, the excessive subunits of multi-protein complexes. That also puts uh, a, a higher load on the proteasomes. And one cancer, multiple myeloma, has an especially high load 
because uh, multiple myelomas are malignant plasma cells, in case you don't know, that the cells which makes antibodies in response to infections. Antibodies are very complex molecules. They have four different chains, uh, which have glycosylation, and they have multiple disulfide bridges. If you make an excess of one of the chains, uh, or, or you cannot uh, form a disulfide bridge, uh, they need uh, uh, to be uh, degraded. So the, the, there is a huge demand of, of this, uh, for degradation of these uh, byproducts uh, of the uh, uh, protein synthesis and protein secretion. So the, these are the, like the most protein secretors uh, in, in the organisms. So when plasma cells, which you saw on the left, develop, in, uh, when resting memory B cells div uh, differentiate into plasma cells uh, in response to stimuli, like bacterial infections. Uh, the first thing which happens, uh, they upregulate the secretory uh, machinery. Then they start to produce more antibodies. But then in most cases, you, you don't need this antibody for more than a few days. So you, you, you need to shut down this response to, uh, to avoid uh, autoimmune reactions. And the way the cells do this, and that the work uh, of Roberto Cetia in Italy, uh, they downregulate uh, uh, the amount of proteasomes. So the cells get clogged by, by, by the amount of, um, um, uh, by these uh, misfolded proteins, and pretty soon start looking like New York City would look like after a week of strike of trash collectors. Uh, and that's in a cell world that leads to accumulations of, as I said, and, and that eventually leads to apoptosis. So that like in the plasma cell, there is like intrinsically built-in mechanism to die in response to proteasome inhibition. Somehow malignant cells lost it. And treating uh, myeloma patients uh, with this. Now we have three approved drugs, Velcade, carfilzomib, and exosomib. Uh, results, uh, th that's what we see in tumor cells, the apoptosis. Well, in solid tumor cell lines, they are also sensitive, but uh, not, to, not to such extent because uh, the load is a little bit smaller. Uh, well, uh, the, uh, this load capacity uh, uh, hypothesis was uh, originated uh, uh, from Roberto Cetias, and it also came from the analysis comparing load of capacities in myeloma cells uh, with uh, 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 their sensitivity to bartezomib, uh, and as you can see in our data, that's work of Sonderdoni and Tamer Chabanier, uh, which uh, is pretty much linear, uh, uh, good correlations between the load on the proteasomes and uh, their sensitivity to proteasome inhibitors. Uh, that the original work from CITIA, and actually one of the persons who did this work, Gira Bianchi, she now got faculty position at Dana Faber. She'll be giving grand rounds on May 9th. Uh, she will be here uh, as an external examiner in Saunders Defense. Well, uh, and then actually the data in patients starts coming out. Uh, that was done largely by work by Onyx, uh, a company which has now been absorbed by Amgen uh, through two rounds of, uh, 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 through phagocytosis. Uh, and they actually, uh, they looked how, uh, and they developed the second protosome inhibitor, carfilzomib. They look like how the sensitivity to this agent, carfilzomib, uh, correlates with the expressions of antibodies in patient cells. And they found good correlations. But what they also found, that primary cells, when taken out of the patients, they express roughly 10 times more 
antibodies, translate more, them more, than uh, malleolomas elsewhere work in culture. So somehow, in order to survive in an environment of cell culture media on, and on a plastic, the cells had to get rid uh, of most of the antibody productions. And that actually, that, uh, that explains pretty much why weren't multiple myeloma cells picked up during original NCI 60 screens when uh, they did not stand out. And, and the phase one trials were uh, uh, conducted in all hematological malignancies and in different solid tumors. And then suddenly, uh, one out of 10 myeloma patients in these trials responded. And after that, the focus was on, uh, and phase two uh, was on myeloma uh, only. And, and in fact, in cell culture, and here I'm showing the latest three in MGH uh, Sanger screen of like 300 cell lines, myeloma cell lines don't stand out at all. And that's probably because they don't make, and, um, make less antibodies than in vivo. Uh, now, uh, basically, why is high load results in higher sensitivity? Uh, that's because the flux and the traffic of the proteasome is so high that it takes very small inhibition. Of, this, uh, of the function of the proteasomes to create backup of uh, abnormal protein. Just like if you have a multi-lane highway and you have, and then it has, you have a heavy traffic in rush hour, you block just one lane, you create a traffic jams. However, like in, uh, uh, the traffic in the, if, if the traffic is light, you, you may need to, to, to block like the whole highway or five out of six lanes to create uh, the same effect uh, on uh, the uh, on backup of ubiquitin-related proteins. And this, like, light traffic highway, that's what the situation in terms of traffic through the proteasome is in normal cells. For example, in neurons, 80% of proteasomes are idling. So, and that essentially creates uh, uh, therapeutic windows. High traffic through the proteasomes, very easy to create traffic jams. And a partial inhibition of the proteasome is very easy to achieve because it has multiple active sites with a different specificity. Those beta-5 sites, well, I don't have gene nomenclature, but so Brock, Brock is not here, so I probably I'm, I'm going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, and in case he's listening online, that's the genus PCMP5. <laughs> Yeah, this, this is the most important, and the relative importance was figured out in yeast. So if you mutate this, yeast are not happy. If you mutate beta 2, which is PCMB7, well, there, there, there is some phenotypic differences, and PCMB6 or beta 1, the yellow one, is completely uh, redundant. And essentially, all clinical inhibit uh, beta 5, the most important, as a primary target. Uh, Valcate also co-inhibits beta-1, and confilzomib, it's more potent clinically, uh, most likely because uh, it's a stronger inhibitor of beta-5. So Valcate can inhibit 70 75%, uh, carfilzomib inhibits up to 90%. And like an only bioavailable analog of Valcate, which is also made by, by Millenniums, uh, it also hits beta-5, but it's a little bit stronger inhibitor of beta-1 uh, than uh, Valcate. And 
when we started our work more than 12 years ago, it was not clear uh, whether co-inhibition of this active site is important for antineoplastic activity. And uh, to address the role of active sites, we decided to develop highly specific inhibitors of uh, these individual active sites. And we give them names so that the last digit matches the active sites it's inhibited. So if it ends on one, it's beta one. Beta two is, uh, 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 so it would end on two. And NC stands for Norris Cotton Cancer Center, and LU stands for Leiden University. That's where our collaborators, uh, long-term collaborators are, and some of the actual inhibitors originated from them, and some are ours. And that's actually pretty much data, the summary of the data I presented at Grand Round six years ago, uh, almost exactly to the date. What it showed uh, that um, uh, beta-5 specific inhibitors, yeah, they, they, they kill, but usually it's when, when they lose specificity. And the inhibitor of either beta-1 uh, or, or uh, of either beta-1 yellow or, or beta-2 blue, uh, they uh, sensitize. So they, they dramatically sensitize at the doses where these two drugs are not active on their own. And if you combine all three, you get even stronger effect, but, but we are not aiming to inhibit all three because obviously in patients we know it's going to be little. Uh, about the time when we get uh, the data, uh, what became obvious that although proteasome inhibitors, which was actually Bartholomew for the first new anti-myeloma drug introduced, uh, increase the survival of myeloma patients, uh, they still don't cure as resistance inevitably emerges. And we still didn't reach the situation where, 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 where this survival line flattens. Uh, and uh, the mechanisms of resistance uh, also started to emerge. And uh, the emerging picture was that uh, the, uh, in resistance cells, the load on the proteasomes is uh, lower, either because they make more proteasomes or because uh, actually uh, the resistance is mediated by dedifferentiated plasma cells, who are still malignant but don't uh, make antibodies. Hence, uh, uh, the load is uh, lower. So, uh, when you have a goal of creating a traffic jam in a, in a highway, and traffic becomes light, and then it was in the rush hour, you moved into the evening hours, uh, uh, what do you do? You block more lanes. And so we thought that with these specific inhibitors of different active sites, we have the tools to do it. And that's our current inhibitor of beta-2 sites, which is not one I showed on, your, on the previous slide, because our collaborators approved on our original compound. Uh, it, you see at the concentration like one of three micromoles, it's really specific uh, uh, for uh, beta-2 sites. Unfortunately, it also inhibit cathepsin because it's a vinyl sulfon. But what we found uh, that it has the same effect uh, on sensitizing cells to carfilzomib, for example, as NCO22, another inhibitor which we know because of chemistry cannot inhibit cathepsins. But the advantage uh, in these experiments, NCO22 had to be used at like 30 times higher concentration than LU102. And also LU102 uh, acts much faster. And then when we wanted to go to the solid tumor uh, uh, lines, and the older compound was not even getting there. We could not get even more than 50% inhibition. So this is, became our 
uh, go-ahead uh, compound. Uh, well, uh, whenever you try to push uh, translating these results, you have a show me a single agent activity crowd. And that's a pretty big crowd in oncology. So if there are uh, members uh, who subscribe to this view, uh, uh, this agent is active as um, uh, in uh, myeloma as a single agent, although at concentrations where it's losing specificity for beta 2 sites. So that's activity in cell lines done independently by Sondra uh, and myself and uh, 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 by collaborating Christoph Driessen's lab uh, in Switzerland. And activity in patient cells, uh, somehow they, they seem to be more active when, when used with patient cells. Again, done independently in two different laboratories. Well, but at that point when we were doing the experiment, we wanted to ask the question, is beta-2 really our core target? Will inhibition of beta-2 overcome resistance uh, to beta-5 inhibitors? So in all subsequent experiments where we combine the LU-102 with either bartrezomib or, or carfilzomib, we use the LU-102 at a concentrations which is beta-2 specific, and in most cases it, it, it rarely does anything uh, to the cells itself, although uh, sometimes and dies. And as you can see here, if you work uh, with uh, resistant cells developed by, by, by Christoph Driessen laboratory, uh, the LU-102 perfectly overcomes resistance both to carfilzomib and uh, to bartezomib, and also stromal-mediated resistance. That's, again, a completely independent set of data. Uh, Sondra developed here uh, myeloma resistance cell lines using slightly different procedure. And again, she found that LU-102 perfectly over overcomes uh, a resistance to bortezomib. Boy, this laser pointer uh, is uh, uh, dying. And uh, most importantly, uh, uh, it's overcome resistance in, in, in cells from patients which are either resistant to bortezomib only or to both bortezomib and carfilzomib. And again, we were able to confirm this data uh, uh, in, independently. Well, uh, now the next question is, is this agent uh, in vivo? And we have uh, to get with pharmacological properties. We were able uh, to get it uh, to inhibit roughly 50% of beta-2 activity, not more than that, which we know in vitro is not optimal. But nevertheless, under these conditions, uh, in uh, in a skid, uh, in xenograft and skid mice, uh, it was able uh, to synergize with subtoxic concentrations of carfilzomib and extend uh, the, the survival. And I emphasize that the compound which we did nothing to improve the pharmacological properties yet. And now, as I said, uh, the uh, mechanism of resistance decreased load of capacity. And what uh, we believe also that uh, the load on the protosome in solid tumors, although it is higher than a normal tissue, it's lower than multiple myeloma. And then the reason there is no clinical activity. So the same strategy of inhibiting additional active sites without, uh, while uh, uh, in cells which has lower load capacity should work in solid tumors. And to do this work, we decided uh, to uh, focus on triple negative cancers, uh, which represent a small percentage, like 15%, 
But however, they are more aggressive, they strike at early age, and there are no molecular uh, targeted treatment because estrogen receptor or HER2, the targets of such treatments have not, are not expressed in these cells. And in fact, we found uh, that uh, in vitro sensitivity of cell lines derived uh, from seven different subtypes of triple negative uh, breast cancer, which we in the meantime have been reduced to four, com is comparable uh, in their sensitivity to bortezomib uh, with uh, 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 myeloma cells. Well, but that's in vitro sensitivity. And so next, and also, uh, as we were doing this work, and as uh, uh, genome-wide sRNA scripts in basal breast cancer, and most people negative sub-basals uh, from Judy Lieberman lab, uh, uh, was carried out, and what they figured out, uh, they let a lot of positive seeds were RNAi uh, to protosome uh, uh, subunits. So that's like independently validated as triple negative as, uh, as a target. But the data I showed on, on, on the previous slide uh, was, okay, it, it's in vitro, but did we treat cells uh, with concentrations which are clinically relevant? Uh, and we didn't know yet. So in the next set of experiments, uh, in parallel with measured myoability, we measured inhibition of the protosome uh, of these three different active sites by our drugs. And what we found, uh, that clinically relevant uh, inhibition of beta-5 sites, which in place of bortezomib is like 75%, uh, it barely uh, results uh, in, in the loss of viability of cells. And you need to co-inhibit in this case, beta-1 side, to really uh, get uh, uh, the, uh, to achieve cytotoxicity. And uh, that was pretty much the case for every other uh, triple negative blast cell lines. Here, we took these two values, viability and inhibition of beta-5 sites, and plotted them against each other. And as you can see, that, that is clinically achievable concentrations. The bulk of death is occurring above such concentration. So the potential explanation why, why uh, this inhibitor failed in clinical trials. In fact, there is a better correlation between inhibition of beta-1, this yellow line, and the viability, as you can see here and here. Uh, that's obviously raised the questions, uh, uh, will inhibitors of beta-2 and beta-1 size sensitize triple negatives to clinically relevant uh, concentration of beta-5 inhibitors, but by clinically relevant, I mean uh, clinically relevant in pharmacodynamic, not pharmacokinetic type of work. Not like the concentration the same we have in the blood, but inhibition similar to what we can see, uh, uh, to what can be achieved uh, in, in patients. Uh, so uh, Emily uh, took um, uh, these uh, two inhibitors and decided to ask, will they sensitize and will they sensitize to similar or to a different extent? As you can see here, she picked the concentrations, uh, which is uh, beta-2 specific, and I need to explain the assay here. So that's an activity probosase. So that's the labeling of active sites with irreversible fluorescent inhibitor, and you can label them only if, other, uh, if they are not blocked by the inhibitor. So uh, basically, lack of band means activity of the inhibitor, the inhibitor really active. And you can see here, uh, it's really specific for beta-2. Here's the quantifications. And then 
uh, we, in the meantime, developed a slightly improved analog of NCO1, which was beta-1 inhibitor I showed in one of the first slides, and which we published like, all, like now almost a decade ago. And you can see, again, she was able to get uh, highly specific uh, concentrations, uh, which by themselves didn't do anything to these cells. And then, when she combined them with scarfilzomib, uh, she saw these numbers are combination indexes. Uh, by the way, she saw a sensitizing effect of NCO21, beta-1-specific inhibitors, but much stronger effect of beta-2-specific inhibitors. And the, uh, this loss of variability also translated into higher apoptosis. And she essentially saw this sensitization in pretty much every triple-negative breast kinds of cell lines uh, we tried. And there was always larger drop in, in, in IC50 uh, yeah, with beta-2-specific inhibitor and then with beta-1-specific uh, inhibitors. And the effect on uh, bartrezomib was always slightly smaller than on carfilzomib, which is understandable because bartrezomib usually at concentrations we use here, it skips beta-1 side uh, a little bit. Uh, but uh, what was most remarkable that now in the presence of LU102, we started seeing uh, deaths at the concentrations uh, of, beta, uh, of uh, FDA-approved beta-5 inhibitors, uh, which can be achieved in clinic. As you can see, uh, that's the similar graph uh, to what I showed you for bortezomib uh, in, in one of the previous slides. And that's correlations uh, between beta-5 inhibition and cell deaths for carfilzomib. Now, if we look at the same correlation with carfilzomib, but in the presence of LU102, beta-2 specific inhibitors, these all curves shift to the left. And that's already clinically achievable territory. So thus, beta-2 is an important core target in solid tumors and a better core target than uh, beta-1. So that's uh, uh, chemical results. Now we wanted to, uh, uh, to repeat uh, to confirm these results uh, genetically, and CRISPR have been invented by then, and we are next to my call, who absolutely love uh, CRISPRs. Uh, so we designed the experiment. I sent Emily across the aisle to my calls lab, and together they, they managed again uh, uh, to create subclones uh, of uh, uh, 231 cells, uh, which lack beta-2 activity. And although we're targeting the mutation of the active site of threonine in this case, uh, we got another clones where there was a deletion of adjacent residues. And we knew from working our bacterial protocol that that screws up the active sites, and there is no activity. Again, that's activity-based probe, uh, probe assay here. Lack of band means lack of activity. However, the beta-2 subunit is present, as you can see on the Western blot here, and other uh, subunits are also present, meaning that that protosome is still intact, and other subunits are for like beta-5 are still active. For beta-1, we were able to generate only deletion mutants, uh, but again, it was known from thermoplasma that it's essentially equivalent uh, of mutations, and it lacked activity. So, and now, uh, Emily tested this uh, these subclones for these clones of cells for uh, sensitivity to carfilzomib, and again, parental cells, uh, the manipulation didn't change the sensitivity. Uh, the uh, beta one uh, 
mutation uh, reduces uh, uh, viability somewhat, but less than beta-2 mutations. And by the way, uh, in the meantime, we isolated the second clone of beta-1, and it had exactly uh, the same uh, effect. So that's essentially the trend is exactly the same as we saw with inhibitors. And we also, which pretty much suggests uh, uh, that, yeah, where we got it right with inhibitors, it was not off-target effect. To further confirm uh, the uh, off-target effect, uh, that it was not off-target effect, we now tested whether inhibitors would have effect on these mutant cells. And you can see if you mutate beta-1, the effect of NCO21 is lost. And if you mutate beta-2, in both clones, both mutations, again, the sensitizing effect is lost. So that basically tells for sure that, yeah, the effect we're seeing with inhibitor was an uh, on-target effect. Well, and now that's probably the most important slide uh, of uh, the whole talk. So using, uh, uh, actually, mice, which were provided by the core, uh, NSG mice, thanks to Jen, uh, uh, Emily uh, created uh, autotopic tumors, uh, memory fat paragraph tumors of all these different uh, clones, and, it, and treated them with subtoxic doses of carfilzomib, roughly half of the maximum tolerated dose. So this dose do, does nothing on its own, as you can see on the top left-hand corner. And the only mutations uh, which create uh, activity in vivo is these beta-1 beta-2 T1A mutations. So again, beta-2 is a better core target uh, than uh, uh, beta-1. Well, so that was in the triple negative breast cancer. There was a little problem that due to the data came out uh, of all these screens of different cell lines, sensitivity to different drugs, this MGH screen, it turns out that actually TNBC and myeloma, they are not the most sensitive. So we might have gotten not with the optimal. And there are other kinds uh, who should be sensitive, like glioma, kidney cancer, ovarian cancer, and uh, some head and neck cancers. Uh, so, and, and of course, reviewers of our paper, they wanted to know how, how universal our findings are. So Emily had to do this experiment in three lung cancer cell lines, uh, which you got from Eaton's lab. And we used lung cancer here because there were some anecdotal responses, single cases of responses to bactesimib in the earlier trials. So this is the kidney cancer cell lines and then ovarian cancer cell lines. And that's, she plotted change in, a relative change in IC50. So how, how much in the presence of LU102 this like uh, IC50 for viability drops. And you see uh, like a huge drop. So it's pretty much again like almost like synthetic lethality. The next question is what is the mechanism? Why NU102 causes stronger effect uh, than NCO21? Uh, the simplest explanation is uh, they cause, this is because uh, they cause uh, stronger inhibition of the proteasomes and because B B and the effect of beta-2 inhibitors is stronger because beta-2 is more important uh, than beta-1. Uh, a, a quick surrogate assay of protein breakdown is when you look for accumulation of ubiquitin-related proteins uh, on, on the Western blocks because that's what happens when you inhibit the proteasomes. And as you see, if we're using carfilzomib at beta uh, to uh, beta-5 specific uh, concentrations, yeah, you, you, you get some accumulation of conjugates, and then over time it resolves. You add NCO21, they, this high level of conjugates, they get higher and they persist for longer. 
And if you get of LU1 or 2, not only you get like higher inhibition at, at a lower time point, the cells do not recover. So curve. And at this point, uh, they already start to die in the case uh, as measured here by uh, caspase 3 activity. And on the other hand, in carfilzomib, they get a chance to recover before they start to die, if you're using carfilzomib alone. Uh, we observed exactly the same effect uh, with uh, CRISPR mutants at, at later time point. Again, uh, uh, little accumulation in the wild type, some accumulations in, in, in uh, uh, beta-1 mutants, huge accumulations in beta-2 mutants. So that's basically should tell us this data, that there must be a recovery of proteasome activity. And indeed, if we now look, look at the recovery of, acti of activity of individual active sites using these fluorogenic peptides or activity-based probes, as says, uh, beta-2, beta-5 activity recovers, even though it was almost completely inhibited by carfilzomib. However, if you add uh, beta-1 inhibitor, there is no recovery. And we know that this uh, uh, inhibitor uh, doesn't hit beta-5. And with beta-2, it's even worse. So carfilzomib is an irreversible inhibitor, which forms two covalent bond in the active site. So the mechanisms of recovery must be transcriptional response, synthesis of the new proteasomes. And before I go that, I would like to point out that actually that was a key difference between breast cancer and the myeloma cell lines which are sensitive to clinically relevant concentrations of Velcate. These myeloma cell lines, or, or carfilzomib, they do not recover with any of these agents and, uh, uh, until uh, before uh, the apoptosis commences. So this recovery may be another reason why uh, we do not get uh, uh, activity clinically in solid tumor. So we might be needing to, to suppress the recovery. And that may be one of the mechanisms why LU102 is a stronger sensitizer. So they thought it must be uh, transcriptional response. So here uh, we uh, collaborated with my former uh, mentor, uh, Fred Goldberg, and his postdoc, Jasha, uh, who already had a say ups and running. Uh, they were working on this mechanism of transcriptional regulations. And as you see, LU102 uh, uh, reduced transcription of proteasome genes, completely blocked the recovery in the presence of carfilzomib, and did it more than NCO21. And it's essentially Emory got the same data in, uh, in uh, mutants. So this recovery occurs by a very interesting mechanisms, which has been actually worked out by several labs, including the Goldberg's lab, with whom we were uh, uh, collaborating. The transcription factor which regulates proteasome activity under stress conditions. It's not the only transcription factor which regulates the proteasome. That is one of the most important. It is, uh, normally it's uh, an ER membrane proteins. So it sits in the ER membrane proteins where it's constituted with degraded in ubiquitin-dependent fashion if proteasome is fully functional. If you partially block by the proteasomes like what we do when we inhibit just uh, beta-5 sites, Somehow it escaped proteasomal degradations. Another ubiquitin uh, recognizing protease comes in and clips this protein here, getting rid of the transmembrane domain and releasing the protein, which can now go to the nucleus and start the transcription of, of proteasome genes. And what they found that they, they completely inhibit the proteasome using very, very high concentrations uh, of, of carfilzomib, for example. 
Uh, this uh, DDI still works, but, but both processed and non-processed water isotopes, it's aggregates. So that's, uh, and there is no activity because they cannot get to, uh, to DNA. Uh, and that's actually uh, uh, causes uh, cells to die. So uh, Emily checked whether LU102 is doing exactly that, causing aggregation. And in fact, it does. As you can see, if you treat with carfilzomib alone, few hours after, uh, you see, so this is a full length inactive NRF1 in the arm membrane. And, and this is a cleaved one. And you see a cleaved active NRF1 uh, in, in the soluble fractions and in the chromatin. On the other hand, if you treat with LU102, there is some soluble unprocessed, and but most of it is in this like aggregates, which are not soluble in usual detergents, but are soluble in, in, in SDS if you sonicate that. Uh, now in the next experiment, we are looking just at the soluble fractions. And we are testing uh, whether production of this in the soluble fractions uh, is blocked by LU102 LU more than by NCO21. So it will try to understand whether it contributes to a uh, stronger sensitizing effect of LU102. And in fact, it does. As, as you can see, uh, if you treat with NCO21, you get some uh, processed forms. And uh, effects are much more dramatic in, in, in mutants. Again, beta 1 mutations, you still get activated NRF1. Beta 2, you don't. Uh, so DDT, and now in order to ultimately to test whether this recovery plays uh, a role in, in um, uh, sensitizations, uh, we know two players, NRF1 and DDI2, and we knock out them with siRNA. Uh, NRF1 knockouts were really hard to achieve, so we focused on DDI2. And uh, as you can see here, even though we we are not able to, uh, to achieve a really good knockout, so, so it's probably like about 50% knockout. Uh, we, we, uh, we get uh, some effect on, 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 on cellular viability, so in the presence of knock, uh, if you knock out DDI2, uh, you got more uh, cell uh, death, which basically tells us that in the case of LU102, this uh, inhibition of activation of protosome expression, that's what, what contributes to its effects. Interestingly, DDI2 and its closely related homolog DDI1, uh, they are spotic proteases similar to HIV protease. And we know, low, and, and like developing of HIV1 protease inhibitors, it's not only saved lives of many AIDS patients, it like was a textbook of computer structure-based uh, drug uh, design. And in fact, one of HIV proteases inhibitor, nelfinavir, it has antineoplastic activity. And we still don't know whether it, it is possible that this activity and the inability to synergize uh, with uh, protosome inhibitors is due to the inhibition of uh, this uh, uh, NRF1 processing by DDI1-2. Uh, inadvertently, we may be even testing this idea in, in the clinical trials because uh, we have a trial between exasamib, this is the newest protosome inhibitors, and nelfinavir written up uh, for, for solid tumors and then just awaiting a couple of signatures. Well, so the model 
uh, of activation is, so we revised it uh, that uh, in order to cause aggregations, you don't need to, to inhibit proton completely. Just inhibition of uh, beta uh, 2 and beta 5 site is enough, but not of beta 5 uh, and beta 1. And that's why we think a combination of beta 5 and beta 2 is a better target uh, than a combination of uh, beta uh, 5 and beta 1, which can be achieved by many clinical inhibitors. If you ask me uh, if there are any inhibitors in, in trials which inhibit uh, beta 2, there is one. That's marizamib. It's uh, a marine natural product. It has been in clinical trials for 10 years. In fact, it entered clinical trials ahead of carfilzomib in 2006. Carfilzomib was approved in 2011. This one is just going into phase two. And it's in myeloma in glioblastoma. Specific reason for glioblastoma, because nothing there. And because this guy also crosses blood-brain barrier, unlike uh, bactezomib and carfilzomib. And there are certain CNS-associated uh, uh, toxicity like balance lo uh, loss, uh, et cetera. And we know that ner ner uh, nervous tissue is very sensitive to proteotoxicity. Uh, it also, unlike our combinations, marilzamib can inhibit beta-2 site only after beta-5 sites are completely inhibited. And it concurrently inhibits beta-1 sites. It may be simply too much. We believe a much, as we showed, when you inhibit beta-2, uh, beta-5 inhibitors work at subtoxic concentrations, like here. And so far, we believe a much better approach would be to achieve strong inhibition of beta-2 and weaker inhibition of beta-5. It will be still uh, uh, potent enough to kill uh, tumor cells, but it will like create a nice uh, uh, low toxicity window, potentially increasing uh, the uh, uh, therapeutic windows and offering a uh, advantages over marilzomib, and if we're able to make a molecule which doesn't cross blood-brain barrier, it will give uh, other advantage, as you may be re remember from one of or from the slide where I showed the structure, LU102 uh, has an amino group, and uh, we believe that this functional group on the side chains will make it much easier to make a prodrug uh, which would be activated at the tumor sites. And uh, like there is a whole science about selective drug delivery, prodrugs, et cetera, et cetera, uh, which we could use to increase inhibition and deal with toxicity in case uh, uh, it uh, emerges. So I hope that I convince you uh, that beta-2 sites uh, are targets and cancers, and uh, that uh, uh, co-inhibition of beta-2 and beta-5 produces uh, maximal uh, cytotoxicity. Uh, and in case uh, you're not convinced, uh, we are working uh, uh, on other combinations. Uh, Sondra uh, will present you uh, another one at her defense. Uh, I think it may age auditorium age at uh, 1 p.m. So if uh, I was to borrow and cannot convince and come to her defense, please. Uh, and we are working on other combinations. As, uh, again, uh, finding some almost synthetic lethality between LU102 and certain kinase inhibitors. It's, I decided also some of it published a little bit premature to speak about it. And if you doubt our ability to, to uh, uh, generate a compound which co-inhibits beta-5 and beta-2 sites, well, accidentally, we already have one.
as you can see here, again, that's activity-based probe, uh, which a lack uh, of a band means uh, that active sites are inhibited. Uh, well, uh, this all uh, results uh, would not be able uh, without a whole cadre of uh, uh, talented uh, uh, student, uh, students. Uh, so the work on myeloma is being done uh, by Sondra. I didn't talk about her work on purpose. So to keep you a little bit in suspense before her defense. Uh, the uh, breast cancer work was started uh, by Owen Wilkins when we was here on a placement from University of Bath. He eventually uh, came back, so it's actually uh, and also David Williams, a year ahead of him, also worked on, on, on breast cancer. Uh, and again, uh, Ellen Daly was a Dartmouth undergrad. Uh, he, she worked uh, on only one or two in a project, which Sondra will tell you about. Uh, the uh, uh, animal work uh, was started by Tamer Chabanet, who is now in Mary Jotur's lab, uh, graduate students, uh, and Anna Mirabella, uh, who came as a bus student and then came for another year. And by the way, she defended her PhD at Imperial and now starting her new job as an editor of Nature Communications. So if you want to send paper there, you should address it to Anna. Uh, of course, uh, the help from Mike was really indispensable for, 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 for CRISPRs. Uh, uh, Alan uh, uh, preached us uh, the importance of, of uh, treating cells at clinically relevant doses and clinically relevant uh, lengths of time. Uh, uh, two important contributors were Mark Gauthier and Anand Abhat. They, they are myeloma physicians who helped us, uh, who are copy on the protocol to get primary cells. Now it works very well, and a lot of people in the clinical research core, all nurses, uh, um, uh, coordinators, etc. I mean, uh, the ability of animal mo uh, uh, model cores to provide uh, NSG mice at one third of their uh, uh, cost at the uh, uh, of commercial cost uh, was really available, and we really appreciate Jen and Steve's uh, help. Of course, we used Molbiya core uh, to sequence our mutants and, and to confirm that, that, that we have uh, deletions. And I really hope that Craig Tomlinson will be really happy with the way I acknowledge the core facilities <laughs> in my acknowledgement site. Uh, so, very important collaborator is Herman Overcleft. He is now a professor in Leiden. We're starting collaborating with both postdocs at Harvard. So it's lasting for about uh, 15 years. And essentially, first and uh, beta-2 inhibitor, uh, I went to his lab and we, and we made it together. Uh, and uh, the, the batch for our uh, current work was done by uh, Gerian de Brun, who, who defended last year. Well, some of chemistry and like NCO21 was done uh, by Alex Pletnov, and, and having him is uh, uh, in chemistry, that, that's a great uh, resource uh, for the cancer center. And then again, work was an RF1, well, was done with the same Fred Goldberg, who like made a really important discovery uh, uh, in the ubiquitin protosome field, uh, is indeed considered as a co-discoverer of the protosomes. And he actually was the first one at the graduate students to show physiological importance of protein degradation. So then, then, then muscle atrophies, uh, there is pro, uh, the mass, uh, mass decreases because of protein breakdown, and he was actually for, and he, he was also involved in Velcade development because he was one co-founder co of the Proscript, which discovered Velcade before being phagocytized by Millennium. So he had like a unique career in terms. He was able to stay in the field from 
from its inceptions and contributing to its inceptions to seeing uh, the results of the work being translated in, into the new treatment uh, for patients. Uh, and uh, an important slide, of course, we were uh, uh, supported by many different agencies, uh, including multiple uh, uh, priority grants. In fact, uh, we jump-started our work on inhibitors as a priority about 10 years ago, and also had some other project, uh, uh, some of which unfortunately did not work. A couple of foundations. Common was important to get us uh, into breast cancer work. And I would uh, especially would like to thank you, uh, Norris Cotton Cancer Center and personally Mark Israels, uh, for allowing us to continue uh, this work uh, when we uh, had a really difficult stretch uh, in uh, uh, getting funding uh, for our uh, uh, which hopefully might be resolved now. <laughs> uh, after so many tries, so I have granted the tenth percentile, arrow uh, one. So I'm now ready for for your questions. So my usual question is, what about the load side? Can you therapy, how would you therapeutically increase the load? I mean, if I had all money of the world, I, 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 I would try to fuse uh, some like microtubule targeting agent uh, to cerebron. Cerebron is a subunit of the ubiquitin ligase, and another myeloma duct, lenalidomide, binds to cerebron. And also, uh, it works essentially as a glue. Uh, targeting a specific transcription factor to, to ubiquitin ligase. And there is already te uh, technology called degradamide developed by Craig Cruz and James Brandner, where you fuse uh, a, a ligand for your proteins to linalidomide, and that uh, leads to cerebellum-dependent degradation. And cerebellum pretty much ex is expressed in every tumor cells. To, to create higher load, you need to target an abundant protein. Like if you target P53, it won't work. It's not enough of the load. So, tubulin is quite abundant proteins. Uh, the question is, uh, will the capacity of ligase allow production of enough of uh, ubiquinated proteins to clog the proteasomes? But that's what I would do to test this idea is first. tumor-specific? Well, are tubal agents tumor-specific? No. Well, the, 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 then we, uh, we, we have eventually to move on to uh, tumor-specific ligases. But the problem is we don't have ligands for, for uh, There are a few of them, but we don't have ligands for them yet. So cerebron is being used because you already have a drug uh, who, 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 who can target it. Well, you what I was particularly thinking of was you mentioned glycosylation earlier. Has anybody targeted glycosylation, tunicomycin? Can you do those combinations? <sighs> I thought tunicomycin is toxic. Also, again, some work on vectorization and tumor-activated products uh, uh, was done. Uh, well, that's a good question. And the mechanism, as Emily, uh, in a piece of work we didn't publish and I didn't show, uh, she showed that actually the way um, protosome inhibitors cause AR stress, they're quite different. Uh, most other AR stresses, uh, they cause AF to alpha phosphorylation. Protosome inhibitors are the opposite of it. And uh, to figure out the all intricacies of this mechanism, we probably need to work another 
uh, and, and other students to work this out. So that, 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 that's something we should probably answer where uh, the next student in the lab uh, could answer. Is our one or two year compound? No, 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 no. That, that's a lead, what would pharmacological company. Uh, well, we, we know we have problems. We we'll probably will have to remove vinyl sulfone just to reactive. And they were always combining. If you put like give two, two electrophiles to mice, they don't like it regardless of targets. So, so uh, we, I mean, to, to make it to the clinic, we have, a, to have a solid medicinal chemistry effort. So that's probably the major reason why, why, why we, we, we founded the company. So, so we, we could do some work through there. Thank you, Lexi. Oh, well, thank you for coming.